Hello and welcome to another My Journey live stream. Thank you for joining us. We're running a little bit late today because of technical problems at my end, but delighted to have you here. Um, if you've not joined one of these before or know who I am, I'm Colin McDonald. Been in the games industry for about 30 years, working on all sorts of different games from the, the very successful, like Grand Theft Auto and Crackdown, to the very unsuccessful, um, whose names I won't even mention, working at AAA Studios, working at Channel 4, um, and everything in between. And now also doing Games Jobs Live, which are recruitment events for the games industry. Um, if you've not joined any of the, the the Games Jobs Live events before, they're completely free. They go out on YouTube and they're basically trying to get fantastic new talent and existing talent into new jobs in the games industry. And we get different studios on, on the live stream presenting themselves um, and basically trying to start a conversation between, between everyone. If you go to our website, we have a couple of different resources that might be of interest. Um, so if you go to um, www.gamesjobs.live, you'll find an interactive jobs map that's got an up-to-date list of all the open vacancies in the games industry across the whole of the UK. So you can browse around that and see whatever tickles your fancy. We've also got transcripts of these very interviews. We've also got regional um, descriptions of, of all the different sort of games regions throughout the UK. So you can find out a little bit about the history of the um, the games industry in each region, who's employing who at the moment, um, and what to do if you end up working in those areas. We've also got details of all the recruitment events that we've got coming up. So the next ones to look out for are next Wednesday, the 7th of April. We've got um, one for the north of England. So we've got Team 17, Codemasters, Double Eleven, and others coming along to that. The following week on Wednesday, this the 14th of April, we've got one for the Midlands. So we've got Electric Square, Quali, Codemasters again at that. Wednesday, the 21st of April, we're working with Pocket Gamer Connect. So partnering with them and we'll get some of the companies that are exhibiting at, at Pocket Gamer. And then on Wednesday, the 28th, we're going all the way down south to Brighton and the South Coast. So we've got companies like TT Games, Studio Gobo, Electric Square. So get onto our website, join up, take part in any of those and come along and chat to the, the companies. They're, they should all be a lot of fun. Um, if you like these videos, please do like and subscribe, the obligatory ask. But let's move along quickly and get chatting to our special guest for today. We have um, Technical Director Lizzie Atwood. Now, Lizzie will tell us more about what, what she's done, how she got into the industry um, and some of her roles, but she's worked at a veritable who's who of UK games industry companies from Argonaut to Disney Black Rock to Relentless, Criterion, Last Furnace, Mars on a Stick, and now she's technical director of her own studio, Furious B. So please do stick questions in the chat and we'll try and put as many questions to Lizzie as we can over this um, next 50 minutes or so. Um, and um, I'm looking forward to finding out more about what she's got to say. So without further ado, please welcome Lizzie. Hello. Hi. 
Listen, thank you so much for giving up some of your time to, to join us today. We really appreciate it. That's okay. It's my pleasure. And thank you for bearing with my own technical problems. So oh, yeah, my internet should... connection cut out while I was waiting. So if that happens again, I apologise. We'll 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 find a way to get around everything. It does happen. I just just jump on again. People will just have to put up with my rambling for another minute or two. <laughs> um, so what usually works best in terms of context is before we sort of jump back to the beginning of how you got into the industry. Tell tell us a bit about where you've ended up, what are, you, what are you doing at the moment? So uh, for the last just over five years, we've been uh, running a little outsource studio from our house, um, which has given us uh, great practice, great work from home practice for the last year. And uh, we basically, my partner does art and I do code and um, yeah, just sort of help people that need help with their games. I mean, the idea was is that on downtime, we would uh, work on our own stuff as well, but there is no downtime. <laughs> we have to schedule downtime if we want it. So, uh, it's a good yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, it is a good problem to have. Yeah, it takes a little while to build up to it. You know, you you start off and things are a bit things are a bit thin on the ground, but then after a while, you you develop the contacts. People know what you're doing, and then people come to you, and you just get it. You just get it uh, booked up in advance. I mean, that's, I, I, I mean, this is, you know, you're talking about business development, essentially, but through all these live streams, we've spoken to various people. And what keeps coming out is that the, the, the bottom line is you need to do stuff and you need to talk to people. If people don't know who you are and know what you do, they're not going to employ you or hire you or do business with you. So yeah. I mean, is, that, is, that, is that essentially? And you have to reminding people as well it's no good that they just know who you are they have to know that you're still here and you're still doing it so we tend to I mean in other more normal years we would tend to go to regular events throughout the year and just just interact with people you know like it it, it really is not so much what you know but who you know and that that's where the that's where the biz oh, I never used the term biz dev but yeah that's where the biz dev comes from it's just uh uh, the, the contacts that you have at the industry, the people that are recommending you. And, and it's all about, you know, the last things that you did, the most recent things that you did that people recommend you for as well. So is that, I mean, do you, do you get, is it the same people are coming back to you with, with, with new projects or are they recommending you to, to uh, you know, colleagues or people in different companies? Yeah, some, like sometimes you get recommendations just just randomly come out of the blue. Sometimes it's people that come back because they've got new funding or um, they've got a new idea that they want to try out or something like that. I mean, at, at the moment, I'm working with Katie Takahashi and uh, I've never worked with him before. So that was that's a new fun out of the blue uh, thing that's come along. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and and then in terms of your actual job day, day to day, when you've, I mean, it's probably going to vary from project to project. But what 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 sort of things are you typically doing yourself? Um, so at the moment, I'm just programming, just uh, helping to plan, helping to helping to do technical design. Um, sometimes as well, I've I've done uh, consulting, so I've advised people on the, the technology to use and or I recently did some consulting where I did some interviewing <laughs> so it's really it just really depends on what comes along but yeah at the moment I'm just 
um, right in the thick of it doing doing programming. So technical director really <laughs> is because I always used to joke when I worked in AAA studios. I used to say the technical director shouldn't be allowed to touch the code because um, <laughs> they usually they're out of it for so long that they come back and make make some silly mistakes. But I'm yeah, um, I'm always coding, so technical director is maybe not quite a, the greatest description of what I'm doing. It's usually just programmer. I mean, is that is that the ambition to build up the studio so that you end up with an army of programmers and you can and you can have your feet up and and just yell at your army? <laughs> well, do you know I was uh, I was a lead programmer somewhere in the weirdly in the middle of my career, um, and I left that because it, my job just felt like it was about taking credit for other people's hard work. I wasn't like you you get into a position where like a certain amount of things have been designed and so they and there's enough to go on to start making them but if you start one of those things especially because you get interrupted all the time as the lead so you can't just do a, do a solid day's work on something if you take it and start working on it you've taken it away from the pool of your team you know that that's something that now they can't get on with and if they've got nothing else to get on with you have to you have to give it up so yeah, you find yourself a lot of the time just running around organising people and helping people. I had to give up on headphones when I was uh, a lead because you put them on and then immediately someone else would arrive. So you just forget those now. That that's not part of your job anymore. Um, but yeah, it's it, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> well, so I was going to ask you a little bit more about that sort of transition between being a being a a programmer and a, and a lead programmer, you know, because obviously, you know, most people come in and they, they, you know, they want to progress, they want to, to, you know, become managers and become leads. My experience is actually, if I could do it again, I would choose not to do a lot of the management that I ended up with. It's a lot of it's not fun. I mean, yeah. but it, <laughs> is, is being a lead programmer still fun? Yeah, it is fun. It's, um, I really, I'm so proud of the teams that I've that I've worked with and the work that they produced. And I, I hope that I was a force multiplier. You know, I hope that I made them more productive by the work that I did. It's impossible to know for sure, uh, but yeah, that was that was my intention, and I really enjoyed that. And so I was proud of the projects that we produced. And it's a different kind of enjoyment, I think. But when you're programming, you you just get this sort of pure joy of solving something. And I don't think that anything in management can really um, compare to that. Yeah, I mean, maybe I... it does. Maybe solving a management problem, I suppose. <laughs> maybe that's just, that situation comes up less often. It's not It's not quite the same. It's not as sexy, is it? <laughs> no. Cool. Okay. Um, so can I can I take you back in time? I mean, not too far back in time, but just uh, to, to the point when you first entered the games industry and actually a little bit before that, when was the first point you thought maybe you'll get into the games industry? Um, in the last year of my degree, um, I kind of oh. fell into my degree by accident. Uh, I didn't really know what it was when I, when I signed up for it. It just looked fun. So I signed up for it and I got onto it. And um, it was only when I was coming to the end of that and we were coming towards final exams and um, graduation that I realized that my peers, the other people that were at the same level as me on the course, 
we're all looking at trying to get into the games industry. And so just out of interest, I sort of tagged along with them and looked at the things that they were looking at. And I thought, well, this looks really interesting because it's an industry that where it's it's okay to be a little bit abnormal, where it's acceptable to be a bit strange and a, and a bit special. Um, I'm definitely a bit special. <laughs> and uh, you didn't have to wear a suit. So uh, that was super appealing. Um, I studied in London, so I guess a lot of what I was looking at with computer science was offices, uh, people sitting in quiet rows of desks, just programming databases. And that sounds like um, probably my idea of hell. Uh, but yeah, so in in the degree actually was it was computer science, but it had games and graphics specialization in the third year. And um, that's what really attracted me to the degree in the first place, because I was looking at the modules and they just sounded really interesting. They sounded like really creative. Um, so like the programming was really good and I really enjoyed it. But when I was signing up to the degree, I, I actually didn't know what it was. I I typed in programs from magazines, but I don't really consider that to be programming. And I had no idea even when I was playing games when I was younger that it, that could be a thing, like that could be a career that you could do. So yeah, it was only really in the final year of my degree that I thought, oh, okay, this is what everyone else is doing and this looks good, so I'll go for it. All right, and, and you said you sort of um, went along with, um, you know, sort of colleagues that were looking at it as well. I mean, what was that sort of applying for the same jobs? Was it going along to jobs fairs or what? Well. You know? One of the things that we did was try to get uh, studio visits. So um, we, I'm surprised that it didn't put me off actually, because I did have a studio visit at Codemasters and they were in rows of desks in silence. <laughs> and they gave me about five minute tour and then said, um, what do you want to be? I want to be a programmer. And they went, well done, you can leave now. <laughs> and, and it was like, it had taken me so much effort to get there on a student budget. It would just seem like, because it's on a farm in the middle of nowhere, you know, so you've got to get a taxi, you get the train there and then you get a taxi there. And then they were just like, um, oh yeah, uh, nice to see you. Thanks for coming, bye. <laughs> so it was about a five minute tour or something. Bit of an anticlimax, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know really. I mean, the guys that I was studying with, they had all been playing games, uh, trying to make games. Um, reading Edge magazine. Um, in fact, some of them, the reason why they were on that degree is because, uh, like, it, this is years ago before there were games degrees, and Edge magazine had recommended that degree because it had um, games and graphics uh, specialist modules in the third year. So, so, yeah, I don't know where I got the idea from. I guess just chatting, <laughs> just chatting with the people that I was studying with, and that's what they were doing, and I thought, okay, this this seems good. Okay. It's just it's just a very accidental and very random. I mean, it's fantastic luck, basically. The, the word luck comes up an incredible amount when we're all talking about our careers. It's <laughs> yeah, it, it, it happens so often. It almost doesn't seem like luck, but um, <laughs> so 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 the 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 very first um, uh, very first job remind me where that was. Article systems. All right, so that was up in Sheffield. Yeah, in Sheffield. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so how how did you how did you know about them? How did you apply? What was the whole 
So again, this is a case of it's not what you know, it's who you know. I'd been trying to look for a job for three months uh, after graduation and I'd sent CVs to everyone, everyone in the country, it felt like. I got uh, two interviews in three months. One of them was Bizarre Creations and the other one was Particle Systems. Bizarre Creations turned out they were just interested in what a female programmer looked like. I think they got me up there. <laughs> Uh, put me in the room and then literally the entire programming team came out and interviewed me. I've never been interviewed by so many people in my life. I think there were like seven or eight guys sitting opposite me. And uh, where, <laughs> well, when the recruiter had sent feedback to me about what they'd all said about a demo that I'd sent, um, one, I guess they, she wasn't actually meant to forward it back to me because one of them had said, what a shame, she's no good. I really wanted to see what a girl geek looked like. <laughs> so right. when I was in the interview and they were all in front of me, I said, uh, they said, have you got any questions? I said, yeah, which one of you was it that called me a girl geek? <laughs> the one that went bright red. <laughs> and then I had an interview at Particle Systems and that was a much friendlier, <laughs> much less confrontational interview. And, um, and yeah, they took a chance on me and I'm forever grateful because nobody else, nobody else seemed to want to. Uh, I guess it was a bit rough around the edges, but I was good, organized, systematic, and neat. And I think that's what they liked. So what what were you doing, like, you know, day one, week one, month one sort of thing when you started there? Wow, this is like nearly 20 years ago. You know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got an excellent memory, though. Uh, the first thing that they got me to do was like um, a model viewer. So every uh, company that you work for in the olden days, before Unity and Unreal came along, every company had their own technology. They had their own mm. tools and um, all, all the underlying engine. And so a lot of the time, most of the time, in fact, you just have code and you have people checking the art in and then you have the app run. You know, there's no uh, visual editor like there is now. Like most of the time, there wasn't a visual editor. So. I did like a model viewer for them because it was a good entry task, I guess, as a graduate programmer. This isn't critical. This isn't going to mess anyone up. No one's depending on you. It's just a little nice to have tool um, if the artists want to have a look at their models in the game engine. So that's the kind of thing. Like, at, but one of the guys that was there when I turned up said, it's really nice the way they've given you this. Uh, not a jump in the deep end task. It's not how they treated anyone else that turned up. Everyone else just got pushed in. Well, and actually, in, in hindsight, I mean, it is was that a good thing? Or would it have been better to have been pushed in the deep end? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it, it's a good way of getting used to it. Like, one of the things that's really pointless is when you say to someone, just sit down and have a look. Because if you've got no purpose, nothing really goes in. Like you could spend uh, weeks and weeks just looking. Um, I always say to people now, give me bugs, give me things that you just haven't had time to fix. Because I think that's the really the best way to uh, get used to a new code base. Because you just you go in there with a purpose, with a specific thing that you're looking for, a specific thing that you're trying to work out. And uh, I think that's the best way to learn your way around. So yeah, it's it was a good introduction. After that, I put Rumble in. Mm -hmm. 
It's weird that I can remember this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and and then how long were you at Particle Systems for? Um, how long was it? I think it was less than two years before um, it was part of Argonal. Argonal um, ran that company into the ground and uh, we were all let go without any compensation without last month's wages uh, that was that was the full-blown entry into the games industry that's the introduction yeah if you if you're in the, the games industry for long enough there's a there's a there's a a, a, a company a company bankruptcy or two along yeah. the way isn't there unfortunately twice, twice so far hopefully this one hopefully this one is safe this <laughs> no, one not your own absolutely yeah <laughs> But yeah, I would say to anyone that's facing redundancy, it's a really scary thing when it's happening, but it, it is actually a positive. It's almost always a positive because everybody splits off and spreads out. And then, especially as a graduate, suddenly you know people in all of the major studios around the country. And, it, and like I keep saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So as soon as you've got that foot in, um, you, you know, you, it, it becomes much easier. And also, once you've got like those two years of experience and a shipped game, everything else before that kind of becomes meaningless. Yep. All that's important is the experience. All that's important is the ship titles. And I've been really lucky in my career. I've, I've almost got a title for every, I've got more titles than the years I've been working in the industry. Um, somehow, I don't really know how. Uh, so I know so many people who have had so many canned titles and so like their percentage of actually shipped uh, to not shipped ratios is not very high, whereas I've, I've been quite lucky in that respect. So what were you doing towards the end of particle systems then? Had you, had you moved on from model viewers and bug fixing, I assume? Yeah, I think I was making some tools, um, just some more tools uh, for uh, editing the game um, that they were working on. I remember what game it was for. We were pitching for various things. So it was probably just like um, general tools for the engine to help us do pitches fast. Uh, but it was very much a task that you give someone when you've got no idea what they need. To, you've got no idea what to do. You've got no idea what to give them. And everyone's kind of wandering around going, just, <laughs> just trying to make work, basically. Waiting until the project get fund gets funded. Yeah, one one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And 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 then when it did go under, you know, what you said was really interesting about, you know, people then getting scattered to the wind, but you've then got friends and colleagues at other places. So what what happened after it, it went down then? Uh, what like in the minutes after or <laughs> Oh no, no, sorry, in the, in the you, you know, just in, in the you know, yeah, in the in the weeks. And, and how you know what led you to get your next position after that? So I was trying to stay in Sheffield, so I'd interviewed for a few places in Sheffield, but um, that didn't work out. And it, uh, I mean, part of the problem is, is if everyone wants to stay local, and I suppose everyone initially tries to stay local, that means you've got a whole load of people going for only a very small number of jobs. So that's a difficult situation. And in the end, I had to uh, go back south, which is where I was from anyway. I'm, you know, you, you spend all those first years in your career, I think, just moving around the country. And um, 
and yeah, that's where I went to uh, Criterion. And other people uh, went there too. So my lead came with me. So I had the same lead at the, at the new on the new project. So uh, some of it was familiar, some of it was very alien. But yeah, that's where I ended up next. I didn't last very long there. <laughs> And uh, so, was was there a connection there? Did you did you end up at Criterion be, because your lead had gone there, or because you knew someone else there, or was it? Well, just he put like... in a good word for me for sure. Um, but yeah, we were both going for jobs. I mean, we were both down in the south of the country doing interviews at the same time. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, I guess I've got I've got him to thank for putting a good word in for me there. Um, at, <laughs> at the same time, uh, what the recruiter that um, got me to come down and go for that job is constantly uh, reminding me of that and how great he is. And uh, uh, what is it? Like every time I've had a job in the South, he's he's basically tried to tell the people that I'm working for that they that they owe him a cup because he got me to go down. <laughs> Um, fair enough fair enough <laughs> and then i was also i was also curious i mean the you know the fact that you're, you're then working with the same lead again does how much does the work change because obviously you had a you you, you know your lead presumably thought you were good at certain you know particularly well suited to certain things and not to others i mean how much does that carry over to a new company when it's the same manager but a different project and a different it's it was so different because the culture was so different it's right. it it was like night and day it and it and it didn't have it didn't help at all that i had him there because he was in a way in a more senior position at particle because there were less of us there and then when you go to a much bigger company you've got more of a hierarchy above you so he had uh, he was in less of a uh, powerful position so he was my lead initially um, but then someone else, someone above him, moved me onto a different team because they decided that I wasn't working well in that team. But uh, like it, it, these days, you would call it gaslighting, I think. But it was Jeez. not a great environment to be in at all. And that's why I didn't last very long there. No, doesn't doesn't sound much fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, generally speaking, I mean, you know, the games industry's got a bit of a reputation for having, um, you know, not particularly mature workplaces. Do you, I mean, just as an aside, do you think that's improved over the years? I think that it, it, there are there are probably just some really bad outliers, and it and it's really dependent on the people that are running the show. You know, the culture comes from above; it comes it comes down. Um, especially if you've got people that aren't able to shield the pressure that they're feeling and then they just transfer it straight onto you. I feel really bad because I know a lot of people that left the industry after working there in that particular team at that particular time um, because it was so stressful and they their assumption, because they'd gone there as graduates, their assumption was is that it must be like that everywhere and it's not like that everywhere and I had the benefit of having experienced more relaxed environment yes we did do crunch but it wasn't so intense it wasn't so destructive um it was i mean for a start it was only when necessary whereas the team that i was on there at, at that time they just planned it in 
they planned it to be like that. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> Whereas so, when you yeah, work for so, yourself, you're, you're probably doing more hours working for yourself now. But Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's <laughs> such a big difference between doing yeah. something because you're enjoying it and you want to be there to doing something because you've been told that you have to or you're going to lose your job. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I, I want to ask about what's next after Criterion. Um, but if, if anyone watching this has got questions for Lizzie, do just drop them in the in in the chat. Um, if they're kind of on on topic as we go through, we'll drop them in. Otherwise, we'll, we'll we'll pick them up at the end. So just shout with any any questions. We've got Lizzie for another half an hour. So shout with anything else. So what came next after Criterion then? Uh, so after Criterion, I went to Climax. Um, and that was that was really cool. I mean, initially, I went to Climax in Portsmouth, and I didn't. The, the company was the company was good, and I was enjoying it, but uh, I didn't enjoy Portsmouth. It was a weird situation because I'd already lived there as a student, and I'd absolutely loved it, and I was so looking forward to moving back there again. But your perspective is so different <laughs> by that point that you're like. Oh, hold on a minute. I actually don't like this place <laughs> at all. Um, we were staying in a flat and there were like kids out the back hitting uh, metal bollards with golf clubs and you needed to walk past them in order to go to the shops. Uh, so that was like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I fit because I've been in Guildford, you know, working for Criterion and that's all very middle class and you can see yeah, the yeah. countryside from everywhere and the town is really little. And, so yeah, uh, then I like I got outsourced by Climax Solent to Climax Brighton, and after a couple of visits to Brighton, I was like, oh, I, I quite like it here. This is really, um, you know, like a great place for misfits as well, like the games industry. It, it's really accepting and really vibrant and multicultural and uh, little weird independent shops survive in Brighton that just wouldn't that just couldn't exist anywhere else. And so it's a really interesting place. And I really still miss it now, actually. Um, so yeah, it was being outsourced. And then I went, um, I went to a, like a, like a, I was actually working in Solon, but I was invited to the rap party for the project that I'd been working on in Brighton. And at that rap party, we were out until the early hours of the morning, got really drunk, and they were like, you need to come here, come and work for us, it'll be amazing. So I asked for a transfer, um, moved ourselves over to Brighton instead, and um, and then that, and then Climax sold the studio to Disney, and then that's what became Black Rock. Um, just, you know, some really cool games that I worked on there that feel like they should be more known than they are but uh pure um because they they've been doing atv games uh for sony and so when disney bought them they were like well we know all about making atv games so um let's do that but i also um when i moved to climax brighton and even when disney bought them they needed to finish off some existing projects that they had so i also worked on moto gp franchise there as well which is really cool so weirdly, like a lot of my early career um, turned out to be racing games. Not intentional, yeah, well, but that's just the way it the way it worked out. 
Yeah, well, including, um, you know, Bizarre as well. I mean, one of the, the, the places you interviewed for, yeah, between Bizarre, Criterion and, and Blackrock, all kind of specialising in in racing games. That's unusual. Yeah. Uh, those are probably the three, well, I guess, um, the folks in the Northeast, um, I've forgotten the name, Eutechnics that used to do racing games. That's probably the four UK studios that are famous for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I knew I knew a lot about racing games after that, and it, especially like working on Burnout, I learned all about how it's really important to just keep telling the player that they're amazing. <laughs> People will love your game. You just keep telling the player that they're amazing all the time, and it kind of ruined Burnout for me working on it because when I was debugging, I used to just uh, tape down the accelerator <laughs> and then just leave the controller on the side, and the, and you would still make it around the track. <laughs> <laughs> so the important thing is make it really really easy keep telling the player they're amazing those are the those are the yeah that's how you make a great game and how it, i mean across these because obviously there's a range of different sizes of studios there how how much sort of sway did you have on the player experience you know where where you dictated oh you you know you've got to code this you've got to do this or or did you get quite a lot of leeway going oh no i think this will be fun i'll, I'll slip this in uh yeah like i feel like i'm trying to think of some specific examples so at particle systems i had a lot of freedom like that um so for example we were making um power drone and i was doing the ui for power drone and at the same time that i was doing that I was uh, playing Project Gotham um, at home. And I don't know if you remember, but it had like spinny medals in the UI. And I was working, sitting next to the artist who was doing the art for the UI for me. And I just said to him, oh, if you give me a few frames of this, then I'll spin it. And, uh, and so I just said, that I obviously felt then that I had the freedom to just go, let's just let's just make up the UI design. Well, we'll work together and we'll make it really cool and put that stuff in it. Um, but I think when you get to the bigger studios, um, like certainly Criterion was very described. It was kind of like, you do this, uh, do this now, do it the way I've said. And then uh, you've got four weeks. And then after three weeks, they'll pull you aside and go, why haven't you done it yet? <laughs> right. And start pulling you into meetings. So that you can explain yourself and you were like well if you just leave me at my desk i might have a hope and chance of finishing it um yeah and then uh i think probably um relentless was the point where i started to be uh more respected to be to 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 be allowed to um just yeah go go off piece or bring ideas to the table or you know like at the point that i've been promoted to lead and you're in the room with the leads talking about that kind of stuff then you're in a position to push a lot more and um i think probably the lead designers that i worked with there would be more inclined to say that i pushed back on ideas rather than gave them ideas right because uh, often um <laughs> There's one particular example that I can think of where all of the designers were in a meeting together and the lead designer was going, right, we can do this, we can do that. And and then one of the other designers went, um, have you asked Lizzie if that's okay? And he went, 
oh yeah, yeah i'll ask her it'll be fine she went maybe you should ask her now and then he came down and apparently he came back up really sheepish going this is this now yeah there might have been a healthy amount of fear <laughs> from the uh from the lead designers that i've worked with well yeah ultimately they can come up with the, the the best ideas in the world but um if if uh if you've got to implement them and make sure they can get in there's not much point planning them yeah i just introduced like a really big bit of realism <laughs> like explaining the how long something is going to take or how complicated it is or how likely it is to to cause other issues elsewhere that they hadn't considered <laughs> always yeah all of those and more yeah <laughs> so that that jump um so relentless or or, or we're also in, in in brighton was that was that after disney um closed down blackrock that you made that jump no i did it a little bit before actually and this is down to um where the team ramped up really fast because they had the disney money and they I don't know if they were fully prepared for how fast they ramped up, but this is, this always happens. Um, and uh, they had everyone, like all of the programmers, and I guess at one point, like I'm going to pull a number out, and I think it's like 50, maybe at one point there were 50 programmers, that's including the tech team and the game team, and they're all checking into the same branch of the same um, code base. And they'd also structured it in a way that meant that there was just there was one file that everybody just ended up having to edit because it because of the way it was badly designed. It was just one master file that just had all these includes in that just ended up getting edited by everyone for everything that they needed to do. And I was complaining to my lead and saying, it's taking me three days to check my work in. So I have to grab latest, merge all of the files, compile it, which took an hour, and run some tests, which again take time. And then in the meantime, someone else has checked in. So you have to go back to the beginning of the cycle and start again. And I swear some of these people weren't doing the tests. They were just going, quick, get these files in. Um, I know it's a safe change. Um, and but I'm very like systematic and uh, I like to follow the rules. You know, These are the rules that someone set out. This is the process, so this is what I do. And he said to me, um, well, you know, it costs a lot more to stop the whole team so that you can check in than it does if you spend three days checking in every task. And that's when I left. And then, yeah, lo nice, and behold, nice know you're valued. Yeah. <laughs> shortly after that, they did introduce branches because obviously everyone else was having that problem too. And they didn't appreciate the amount of money that it must have been costing them for everyone to be um, struggling to check their work in. So I went to Relentless. They were a very secretive company in the Brighton scene. Like it, we didn't really uh, interact with them so much. And um, I, so I'd, I'd found their website and uh, and I'd applied for a job. And it, I think it took a little while for them to respond to me. And they were like. Um, three months later or something, they said, oh, um, you applied for a job a while ago. Are you still interested? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm still interested. And so they asked me uh, when I wanted to come in. They gave me the choice and I picked a date and a time. 
I managed to turn up to that interview 24 hours late. <laughs> but they still gave me the job. <laughs> I just got even the, the most embarrassing thing about that is I picked the date. <laughs> they asked me to pick a date and I picked it and um and then I still got the day wrong. Really, it probably really. makes it worse if they if they dictated it. It might have stuck in your mind more somehow. It's maybe one yeah. of these psychological things, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, the interview went super well. Um, I obviously impressed them with my technical knowledge, and uh, they gave me the job despite my timekeeping. <laughs> and timekeeping <laughs> is really important to a studio like Relentless. Not not. Yep. I mean. Everywhere else is kind of like, okay, well, look, if you if you come in by ten, that's cool, but you're going to be here until the until the late hours anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But Relentless were nine to five; they were very strict. Um, you had a system where you uh, came in with an electronic fob, and if you did that after nine o'clock, you'd have a red mark on that day on the internet. And I have OCD. <laughs> I would do anything. I would call in sick rather than get that red mark. <laughs> Calling in sick was a purple mark. It wasn't as bad. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I got really punctual. I was in at nine o'clock every day. And then the other weird thing about Relentless is they were a nine to five studio. So at five o'clock, everybody got up and they said good night and they left. And I was like, it's still light. <laughs> You know, like at every studio, you would always sit there and wait. You'd get to your the end of your contracted hours, and then you'd sit and wait because you didn't want to be the first person. Like even on your first day, I'm going to wait for someone else to leave before I feel comfortable getting up and leaving. Whereas at Relentless, on the dot, everyone up, out the door. It was crazy. I'd never done anything like it. And for a long time, it worked. And, it was um, really and was that... Was that um... You know, the, 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 as a studio, they wanted you in for nine, but did they also want you out at five, yeah. or was that just the culture that had developed that people... No, no, they wanted with? you out at five. Um, right. they, had a, they had some policies that people would... Um, people don't agree with. So, for example, uh, there were... Uh, there was no internet at your desk apart from certain whitelisted sites. So there was an internet PC away from your desk that you could go and browse the internet on, but there was no um, no internet at your desk. So it was kind of a, you arrive on time, you work your solid hours, and then you get to go home and have your life, have your work-life balance. And, um, at first it felt insane because I was so used to being in the office at 10 o'clock in the night. I was like, I was running around my house going, what are you meant to do with this time? <laughs> yep. You quickly fill it. You quickly get used to it. Um, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice place to work. Really uh, friendly, family atmosphere, and also at other places that I'd worked, um, that sort of outspoken attitude that I have, where I'm bluntly honest with people about where I might think they're going wrong or what they could do better. It's not worked out great for me and other studios, but at Relentless, they really appreciated it. They really appreciated my honesty. And that that caused me to quickly um, progress when I arrived there, basically. They were like, oh, uh, she knows what she's doing. She could 
she can probably lead a team, put her in charge of a small team. And then I did that. And then they were like, okay, well, you could be in charge of the main team now. Uh, so so you, you didn't join Relentless as a as a lead. That was no. you, you earned you earned it basically. Yeah, yeah. And a, I mean, when I joined, they were making buzz games, um, and there's there's a few things that you don't have to think about with buzz. Like you don't have physical interactions. Um, so, the in a, in many ways, I was finding it quite easy, uh, but that just gave me spare capacity to just you know pick up pick up more of the work basically and um show that I showed that I was capable of leading a team. So so yeah, it was a really positive experience for me. And I, I up until starting my own company, I was there for the longest amount of time of any other company in my career. So I just really wanted a change after I'd been there for about five years. And also the amount of time that you spend on a game just felt like it was getting longer and longer. And I was looking at mobile and looking at people uh, creating mobile games quickly and thinking, oh, if I jump to mobile, maybe I'll have shorter cycles and um, be able to make more games over a year rather than just half a game over a year. Uh, so that's when I started looking. I started, um, I, I wrote some mobile apps in my spare time and then I started actively looking for uh, mobile development on smartphones it's just because I was looking for a shorter project life cycle but yeah probably about the time that I started doing that the mobile life cycle started getting really big as well so uh, I don't think it ever really worked out as more than one game a year yeah and well and also I, I've always found there's a, a grass is always greener thing that I've seen people work in AAA and they're envious of the you know the shorter time scales on mobile but then i've seen people in mobile be envious of the, the scale of things that you're able to achieve in AAA. um yeah. and I, I and i think one of the great things about the industry is just moving around you know okay not a fancy shorter turnarounds now not a fancy something really yeah. deep but I, i've got to accept that's going to take years of my life potentially but i can hopefully be insanely proud of it yeah, I mean, ultimately, for me, it's just a challenge. I'm always looking for a challenge. I don't want to do the same that I've already done. And I don't want to do something that I think is boring. <laughs> I'm tired of, I guess. I want to fill my brain with stuff. That's my um, that's my target for my life. <laughs> just keep filling my brain with stuff. Let's see if it leaks. <laughs> <laughs> Seems, it seems to have worked pretty well for you so far. So <laughs> good, good philosophy. Um, uh, so, so then after after Relentless, um, you set up Furious B. Well, no, after Relentless, I went to work for Activision. Ah, sorry, of course, Blast Furnace. Yes, yeah. yeah. So they that so I was looking for mobile, and at the same time, uh, Activision were investing heavily in a mobile studio in Leeds. And they were sort of headhunting um, lead programmers and senior programmers from all around the country. And they took a lot of people from Rockstar Leads and they took a lot of people from Team 17 and me. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that was really, really cool. I mean, it, uh, what, it's weird that they didn't think that this might happen, but I think it took a little while for that to kind of calm down. You know, when you get all of these big egos and put them in a room 
and expect them to just work immediately together in an efficient way. And I think that there was a lot of um, pecking order establishment <laughs> at the beginning of that. And I, I feel like it took uh, about maybe six months before I felt comfortable with that. And then after less than two years, they shut the studio down. So we didn't really have a chance. I mean, we produced two very good games that I'm really proud of, Pitfall and Call of Duty Strike Team. Um, really amazing. Um, really love the people that I work with as well. I've, I've met some lifelong friends um, there. Uh, but yeah, it did take a little while for it to settle down, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I never played the Call of Duty game, but I thought the I thought the, the version of Pitfall was a was a really good interpretation of it. It was just it it was beautiful. It was just lovely to play, wasn't it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. When I arrived at the studio, they they hadn't really thought about a difficulty curve yet. It was just sort of um, taking the tiles and and uh, almost some instructions had come down from on high about the order in which they should come out in. And it wasn't until I turned up and I was working with one of the designers uh, where I was like, we need this to ramp. This can just go on forever. You need it to get more difficult as you go along. And so we, like I, I wrote a tool within Unity that allowed the designer to um, sort of grade the different tiles to decide which ones were more difficult than others. And then we could, um, once we had all of the ranges, we could set some times and said, okay, once you've been playing for this long, you'll start to see some of these. And like, if you've been playing for a really long time, you're just going to get the hardcore set constantly. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed doing that. And then uh, on Call of Duty Strike Team, I did um, the UI for that. Like there was a, a globe that moved around that you could pick missions from. And um, I love doing UI. I don't know if it's just because, I mean, it's, it's weird because I said I don't like doing things I've done before. But I, I don't want to do things which are easy, but I get so much enjoyment out of UI, out of presentation. It's, um, it's something that people generally give to graduates because no one wants to do it. And I don't understand why, because it's the thing everyone sees when they beat the game up. And it's important it, that it's not noticed. So like if you read a review for the game, if you've worked on the UI, if they mention the UI, that's bad. It should just be like it should. It should just. It works. Yeah, it should yeah. work and um, not necessarily get mentioned, but it is super important because if it doesn't work, it affects the whole experience. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, it's it's often UI and and well, and just the menu system, the startup sequence, and everything that that that's often a yeah. graduate system. And actually, jumping sorry, jumping back on that and um, just bring up the comment there was a, a question came in ages ago sorry for not bringing it up before um gimmers or jimmers um is it, it, saying would you know would you be expecting a, a a junior dev to come in and and do maybe not a model viewer these days but the equivalent of that um you mentioned bug fixing but is there is there you know what would be the first sort of standalone you know, routine or whatever you would you would be looking for them to develop yeah, I mean, I think it depends so heavily on the project and what else is going on. So obviously, if someone's using Unity or Unreal for their project, then a model viewer becomes less re relevant. Everyone can um, pull their model into it and have a look at it. Um, but it it kind of it depends heavily on what on what what needs doing. You know, I think it is important to 
get going on something that's actually required but it needs to be something that isn't um that no one's relying on you know so because when you first walk into a studio the last thing you need is someone going uh we need this and we needed it yesterday so get to it because uh, you need time to find your feet you need time to get used to everything it's all very overwhelming i mean i don't know how it feels now because obviously everyone's remote it must be the weirdest thing yeah to join as a junior and not be physically near people i mean one of the things that i've been doing lately is mentoring um juniors and it's so difficult when you can't because if you're sitting in the same room as someone you pick up on the little signs of body language and the little sighs and things like that that means someone's struggling and they need you to come over and help and if you don't have that it's really difficult to know when someone needs you and it's really difficult to find a good balance between I don't want to keep bombarding you because if you're just happy and you're just getting on with your work then I'll, I'll leave you alone but at the same time I really want to check that you're not struggling with anything because uh, graduates like absolute typical graduate behavior is I need to fix this myself I can't ask for help I can't ask any questions because that might look stupid and it takes a long time before you have the confidence to go it's all right it doesn't even matter if it's a stupid question just ask it because it's more important to know the answer quickly if someone can solve it for you in five minutes that's better than you spending two hours trying to solve it yourself and then you can be more productive so capitalize on people's knowledge you know it, it wherever you can I don't yeah, know if that no, really answers the question. <laughs> it, well, no, but it's, it's fascinating in its own right because, because yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a question a lot of people have, you know, when they join. It's like, what, you know, if I am struggling, how, uh, you know, how how should I raise that? Should I raise it? Does it does it make me look, you know, weak or dispensable or any anything like that? Um, and obviously, there's there's the, the, there's a limit if you're asking a question every thirty seconds for weeks on end um uh, it might look bad but i mean generally you would recommend people just yeah pipe up ask, ask questions and if they've got a, if they've got a concern time, yeah. uh, you know if because it, it yeah like I and said, if, they're, if, they're, if they're not happy or they're struggling yeah it's typical graduate behavior to not ask questions to just sit with your head down and 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 maybe even start upsetting yourself about the fact that you you're not you don't feel like you're making an impact then um, just talk to people. Communication is key. It helps so much, especially when we're remote. Honesty and honesty and good communication, um, and you'll be fine because the team want to help. No one wants you to drown <laughs> under exactly. the workplace. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, probably the final question from me. So if there's any last questions for Lizzie, drop them in the in the chat because we've got to let her go in a couple of minutes. But. The, the the companies you've worked for there's been quite a quite a wide range you know you've had ones that sounds like they haven't treated people well ones that have tried very hard to treat them well and 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 let them have lives you know um in in their evenings and a work-life balance ones that have gone gone bust ones that have been part of huge conglomerates i, I mean as as someone considering 
where to go and work. I mean, what's your take after all those mix of experiences on what's a good company to go and work for? What would you look for, and what would what would be warning signs that would um, other other than um, people in Liverpool wanting to know what a girl geek looks like? Other other warning signs that might scare you off a company that other people should be aware of. Yeah, it's really difficult because I'm kind of of the opinion that I wouldn't really change anything. You know, like I, I feel like, I feel like I've done all right. <laughs> uh, and and so yeah, for sure, some of those experiences were really stressful and they they weren't good at the time, but I still feel like they were important. I still feel like that they've been part of what shaped me. Like it. I, I would suggest to juniors now that it would be really good to try and get a job in AAA, but just do it mindfully with this is this isn't how it has to be. There are all kinds of ways to do this job. This is just AAA is just one of the ways, and it, there's so much valuable experience to be gained. Um, the people that work in AAA studios don't tend to be very visible, so. You're, you working in the studio with them is the best way to get access to them and the knowledge that they have. Like the game events that I go to are really dominated by indies. You don't tend to interact much with people that are in the thick of it in a, in a AAA team. They don't tend to get sent to events like that. So um, I think it's a really useful experience and I would recommend trying to go for that, for that kind of job initially do it for a few years um get a shipped product and then move on try something else see different people will, will thrive in different situations you know um like i said my attitude didn't always help me in a in a triple a studio um but it's but it's helped me and helped me to thrive in other in other scenarios so um i, I would just say just try as much as possible see what sticks yeah, the, the, there's definitely there's definitely sometimes a case of the, you know, the, the the round peg and square hole and vice versa that someone can be. I've seen people that have been absolutely brilliant, but I've had other people run other companies tell me that person was terrible, and yeah. they weren't. They'd, they'd be they'd be one of our best people, and it's obviously just been a bad fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard absolutely. to tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, Someone else I was going to ask. Oh, sorry, you, you mentioned going around um, shows and, and meeting other indie developers. It, it, let's pretend the world's returned to normal already. What sort of events um, you know might be good for people to go around? And, and even if they can't meet the AAAs, just to, to meet other like-minded people and make some of those connections. So I really enjoy going to develop. I mean, that's the one that I put... Um, number one on my list every year. I, I have the house booked because we um, we rent a big house uh, that a few of us stay in. And I'll have that house booked as soon as I've left Brighton from the last the event. year before, know. brilliant, yep. Yeah, and it, you can get an indie pass that develop, which means that you can get into, oh, it's like an expo pass, um, which means you don't need to pay any money to just get into the foyer and, um, where the expo is and uh, just try and chat to people. There's also a lot of um, volunteer opportunities in there, I think, uh, like just getting you into a situation where you're interacting with people. If you're standing on a booth helping out, then um, 
you can you can talk to people. I don't know if business cards will still be a thing after this year, but take some cards with um, your your name and your contact details on it and just chat to people. You know, it's uh, it's just it, one of my advices that I would always give to graduates over the years is uh, the most important thing in this industry is just not to be a dick. Just be nice and then nice things will happen to you. Um, but yeah, developers, developers is the one that I think that you could do on a budget. Um, yeah, because yeah. there is just a lot of people hanging around the bar, you know, and yeah. and the expo, and you you've not had to spend a, a penny other than other than the bar prices. Yeah, the bar you, prices you, you, are real yeah. high. <laughs> <laughs> try and get, try and meet some studio directors. Get them. <laughs> They've got loads of money. There's there's usually some parties you can you can um, cad your way into if you're if you're desperate for a free drink, but. Uh... Yeah. No, great, great advice. Um, I'm, I'm conscious we haven't actually shown anything of um, some of the stuff you've done recently. Oh, um, yes. So we, uh, we did uh, queue up a trailer for Telling Lies, didn't we? Um, and, yeah, uh, will, we have a, will, we, will we just play um, a, a little bit of the trailer and then a little bit of in-game footage as well? Just to, to... Yeah, yeah, go for it. Great. Okay, let's have a quick look at the trailer of Telling Lies. Listen, uh, I need you to do me a favor, okay? some gameplay footage as well which features a particularly nice ui i believe <laughs> hey everybody this is paul tomayo for kotaku.com and today i'm taking you through the first few minutes at least of telling lies the newest game from creator sam barlow as seen there on the screen uh previously the creator of her story which is a really really cool game from a few years back that kind of takes a similar vibe it's a very cool interactive um mystery thriller that um, you play as the person you're seeing on screen, looking at their laptops and going through an, a database full of stolen footage of video calls from strangers. And you're tasked with trying to piece it all together and make sense of it all and figure out exactly why their information, in this case, their recorded video calls, are stored on this local drive. So um, I'm just gonna run you through basically how the game works. So as you see here, um, you know, you have this little database server window that you can then use, and this you have this fake UI that is also really interesting, a nice little leap from the the police computer you were using in her story. But um, yeah, so you'll see here, you even have, you can even play some solitaire if you wanted to, if you wanted to pass the time, uh, you can go ahead and do that if you wanted. Um, but you also have a couple of other options here, here are your game options. Um, you know, you can change anything from the music down to the uh, the, the sound effects and, and the ambient sound from the background. You can also um, 
see what's on the con on the, the the hard drive that you have that you've plugged into the into. I, I think that gives everyone a, a nice little. Yeah. Basically, you had to rewrite an operating system. Yeah, I I absolutely love doing that. Like that, the whole project is an absolute career highlight for me for for so many reasons. But um, the software side of it was just completely me. So Sam, for the most part, was concentrating on writing the story and um, casting and directing and and kind of got in got much more involved in the software, but kind of later at first for the first like 10 milestones he's kind of just left me up to my own devices and I knew that the reflection was really important um and because uh, you know in in her story it had a reflection but it was in CG that he just had a, a scan of um the actress's head and it was really really very subtle he just sort of flashed lights near it um every now and again so you just got a little glimpse of it of it and he said to me at the beginning that he wants the reflection to be so much more um, part of it. So yeah, I'm really proud of what I've produced there because um, I sort of pushed him to shoot that footage. I said to him, if we do this in CG, it's gonna be really difficult and it's gonna be uncanny next to the um, full motion video of the actual clips. So all of that stuff, which has been filmed in like a New York apartment with all of the fish tank in the background and that's just lovely lighting. Um, for the longest time, that was just a video of me in my kitchen that I filmed <laughs> on my laptop, which I um, basically put the whole game together like that. And then we only got this, uh, the drop of footage in the last three months of the project. So for the longest time, it was, it was just me in the reflection. <laughs> And uh, I sort of put together this um, uh, this sort of visual test really early on where I showed him that we could layer up the video and we could play multiple videos at once. And and I also, like technically, I really like what I've done with it because I um, bloom the reflection coming out of one video, but don't bloom the desktop or anything like that. So that's all coming through crisp. Um, but then when you want to redirect the player's attention to the reflection, we changed the focus. So we sort of blurred out the desktop a little bit and brought the reflection into focus so that you could redirect the player's attention. And yeah, all of that desktop, like you could move the files around into different folders and the, there were like Wi-Fi, uh, different Wi-Fi signals when you click the menu. And, and I based it on Tails, that UI, um, because I knew that this was about a spy. And so, um, I, the, the main spy that I knew about at the time was Edward Snowden, who leaked all of that stuff um, about the NSA. And uh, there was, we took a lot of influence from that and he apparently recommended Tails. So I then did a bit of research and basically the first version was essentially a lift of what the Tails UI looked like. It was just a copy in every aspect. So, we then got a UI artist to do a reskin over it to make it super sexy like it is now. Because we wanted to make sure that the screen grabs just looked really pretty. You know, when you take a screen grab of a normal desktop, it doesn't normally look pretty. But that was our aim to make it definitely not Windows, definitely not a Mac, like a Linux um, machine, but also just look really pretty. That dark mode actually was a really late change as well, because initially we had like a whole light UI. And then um, my Harvey came out and Sam is a Mac user. 
so I actually got a Mac because, and then I started doing work on Mac while I worked with him because I needed to make sure that what I was sending him, he was seeing. Um, and then Mojave came out and it had a dark mode in it. And I switched to dark mode because uh, I, I like screens to be dark. I switch everything to dark mode if it exists. And I sent him a message to say something along the lines of Countdown T telling me you want me to switch the UI to dark mode. And he hadn't tried it yet. So he then, he then switched his laptop. And then a couple of weeks later, he came back to me. And he said, yeah, that was a really good idea you had. I think we need to switch the whole... <laughs> I think we need to switch the whole desktop to dark mode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I actually went to, out to LA and watched some of the filming for that as well, which is oh, another wow. one of the reasons why it's a, a massive career highlight for me. Just, just because you, you're so involved, you're so influential as well. You know, you're really able to, no other, no other project that I've worked on have I been able to have so much influence over the outcome. Um, you know, like where I was just left up to my own devices to basically copy tales. Like I decided in, initially what that whole desktop looked like, and then um, and then yeah, being able to go and watch the filming as well. It's, it's just so special it's watching that team work. That uh, an amazing team of professionals who all just knew exactly what they were doing and just when and actors. Oh my god. It turns out they're actual magicians. I mean, what they do is really special. I don't, I don't think I've ever really noticed it before until I was watching one in front of me just switch it on, you know, and it was just, it was just really special. Yeah, I think, I think at the time I played it, I can't remember when it, when the game came out, but at the time <clears throat> I played it, I was watching um, um, the Dell story, Halt, Halt and Catch Fire. Which has got uh, Kerry Bishy, one of the one of the, the main actors from from Telling yeah. Lies, and it it was just amazing to see her do so well in the TV show, and then she, she's in a game, and it's not it's not like a, a big hundred million dollar game, you know, um, it's it's a game that that some someone in the UK has has, has made. Yeah. It's fantastic. So yeah, yeah. For the most part, I mean, there were there were a few people involved, and obviously, like a. a a big cast and crew that um, did all of the filming in LA, but for the most part, um, over two and a half years, it was just me and Sam. <laughs> I, I think that's amazing because I mean, I, I loved her story. I, I thought that was a real r revolution in, in terms of a an interface, you know, a way to play a game. I'd never seen anything yeah. like it before, and and to me, Telling Lies did that took the same concept but did it pr properly if you like if that's <laughs> been too unfair to her story but made it look like a proper game you know it looked it looked properly slick and appealing and something that yeah. would look great in screenshots you know whereas her story did you know it, you know i don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know how Sam long it took, but... i mean he spent a year on that and it was just it was just him yeah. uh, doing it by himself um along with a whole lot of anxiety because he didn't even really fully know if it was going to work um i don't know if he would mind me telling you this story but he said that he was just falling asleep one night and his wife just said to him is anybody actually going to buy it though <laughs> and then he was awake for the rest of that night uh, but people did buy it uh, they really liked it and it Quite was absolutely sensational and um and it was a really great to build a game on top of that success because 
we knew exactly what we were doing. You know, we knew exactly what we were making because we had that template already. And so, so much of it you could just get on with without having any questions because you knew exactly what it was. And, uh, and I loved building solitaire as well. It's really fun. And people seem surprised when they see it that it's got like a fully working version of solitaire. I wanted to do Minesweeper, but um, Sam was a bit worried. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that comment just th- sums it up perfectly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam was worried that Minesweeper was too good. That if you put Minesweeper in it, people would literally just play Minesweeper. <laughs> but Solitaire was just boring enough. Um, yeah. yeah. It's got a bug no, in it as well. It, it's got an intentional bug in it. You can't complete it. The only way to win is not to play. The Solitaire? Yeah. Really? Oh. Okay. <laughs> I can't, I can't remember if I, I tried to complete it or not, but... Um, Sam has promised well, to give me a dollar for every uh, bug report he gets, every legitimate bug report he gets. There's a, a bug in it, because I was so angry about having to put a bug in it. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is against everything that I stand for. That, that certainly doesn't happen often, does it? Yeah, there's, there's usually a million bugs we don't want to know about, and not one we've put in intentionally. Yeah. Perfect. Lizzie, we're going to have to let you go. I've taken up more of your time than we planned, but it's been absolutely fascinating. And if anyone hasn't played either Her Story or Telling Lies, both amazing games, I mean, real landmark games, I would highly recommend picking them both up, to be honest. Um, and um, Lizzie, just final words from you. We've got various people watching that are um, trying to get into the industry for the first time. There'll be a lot of people watching this one catch up as well. One, one little bit of advice for anyone that wants to follow in your footsteps and become a technical director one day, what do you think they should be doing right now? Oh, so the, the one piece of advice that I always like to give to everyone is um, everyone is winging it. Everyone. You, like this life doesn't come with an instruction manual. Uh, human beings have got this well, at least I have, I've got this terrible trait of assuming that everybody else knows what they're doing. And it's just me that's just fumbling around in the dark. But my advice to everyone is that every single person is winging it. Every single other human being is winging it. And you'll feel it. I wish I could take this advice. <laughs> I, uh, I, I never can. It's, uh, it's difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, in terms of becoming a technical director, just being a being a jack of all trades is um, the way to progress into management. You know, I never really got stuck on the detail of any one thing. I just really like to have a kind of an overview of everything. Um, so that's kind of where I've ended up here. So w- w- wing it, just just get on and do it basically, isn't, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it seems to have, it seems to have served you well. <laughs> Yeah, you've you've got more credits than um, than the vast majority in the games industry, and getting to getting to work on on amazing games like Telling Lies, and getting to work, you know, Sam Barlow. I mean, he was, you know, he's 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 one of the the, the indie darlings, isn't he? You know, um, so it's um, it's great to see, and uh, hopefully everyone else gets gets inspired to follow in your footsteps, and we see more of that. Cool. So, thank you very much for joining us. That's been really My appreciated. Pleasure. And we will hopefully see you at the bar in um, in develop yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of these years soon. One day. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, thanks very much. 
Um, Lizzie, we'll leave it at that. Um, if you enjoyed this, please do like and subscribe. We'll be we'll be back with more. And also, if you look at the YouTube, there's there's been various other My Journey live streams with um, with people of different disciplines, QA director, narrative designer, and we'll be back with more as well. Um, and don't forget to check out the upcoming events we've got if you go to www.gamesjobs.live. Whenever you're watching this, I'm sure there'll be some events coming up. So thank you very much for tuning in today, and we will hopefully see you at the next event. Bye.